0: The Nationals are back home and Walters is the place to be. Swing by before the game for a cold one or come afterwards to catch late night NBA playoffs. Head over to waltersdc.com reservations to secure your reservation for this week.
1: Walters is a great option, not only during Nats games, but also to watch Euro 2020
2: matches. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Pitch swung on in high in the air to deep right. Back goes Jastrzemski. It's going, going, and gone. Goodbye. Upper tank home run. For Kyle Schwarber lands in section 239 with plenty of room to spare. Bang! Zoom goes Schwarber with his 10th home run of the year on an 0-1 pitch. And it's the Nationals 1 and the Giants nothing. The 2-2 on the way. Struck him out swinging with a curveball and Fetty gets strikeout number 7. It's a nice work for Eric Fetty as he shuts down the Giants 1-2-3. He's retired 9 in a row.
0: And welcome to Nats Chat for Sunday, June 13, 2021, Part 1, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast, the Nationals splitting, a doubleheader with the National League-leading San Francisco Giants at Nationals Park on Saturday. The focus of this installment of the podcast is Game 1, the win, so you will get happy talk on this podcast, a 2 nothing seven-inning win on Saturday afternoon, Mark, the return of Eric Fetty. And it was like he never got COVID-19 and had to miss basically a month. Eric Fetty's return, a smashing success. What a job by him on Saturday afternoon.
1: I mean, a huge job. Just under normal circumstances, that would have been huge. But when you add in the situation that the team was facing, we'll get into all the roster moves they had to make, the, the state of the pitching staff. I mean, they wouldn't come out and say it, but they had to get five good innings out of him in this game. Anything less than that would have been disaster and had pretty significant ramifications on the rest of the pitching staff and for the rest of the day and the rest of the weekend. So he did exactly what they could have asked of him, five scoreless, like you said, picked up right where he left off four weeks ago. It's amazing to think it was four weeks ago that he pitched in Arizona that seven scoreless inning game. And I mean, boy, talking about coming up big and we're reaching a point now. (laughs) I think we've had this discussion a few different times. Like, who's the second best pitcher on the team? Right now it's Eric Fetty. He's got the ERA under four. He has turned into one of the more reliable guys. I can't say that we saw that one coming, but good for him. It, it's happened absolutely when they've needed it to. And um, nice job by him. And, you know, I don't think we're going to be talking about, is he going to be holding on to his spot in the rotation again for a while?
0: No, I don't think he's going anywhere anytime soon, unless he gets COVID-19 again, which I guess is a possibility <laughs> here. But uh, yeah, just to recap, in case you don't know, Eric Fetty got vaccinated, still got COVID-19, which we know can happen. But per MOB's COVID-19 protocols, was forced to spend 10 days in quarantine, never had any symptoms or anything like that. And then he had to work his way back into pitching shape. The first two chances he had at a rehab start for the high Wilmington Blue Rocks postponed due to rain. So here's the bottom line. He got put on that COVID-19 injured list on May 19th. He doesn't get activated off that list until Saturday, June 12th. He ends up missing basically a month, even though he never had any symptoms and he got the vaccine. I mean, this is just criminal. What happened to Fetty? But he goes out there on Saturday afternoon, does a really good job. Five scoreless innings, seven strikeouts, gives up just four hits, all of which are singles, issues no walks on 82 pitches. And this was the thing, right? And we just alluded to this. His last start had been his best start of his major league career up until that point. Seven scoreless innings and a 3 nothing win at the Arizona Diamondbacks on May 16th. You know, given what Feddy's been so far in his career, you're like, all right, that's a great outing. He certainly has looked better here recently, but geez, now he misses a month. I mean, who knows what to expect? And he goes out there and he balled out on Saturday. I mean, scoreless top of the first, he strikes out the Giants' numbers two through four batters, Mike Yastrzemski, Buster Posey, Brandon Belt. A perfect top of the fourth, strikes out the Giants' numbers four and five batters, and Brandon Belt and Brandon Crawford for the first two outs. This has been maybe as uh, notable as anything with Fetty this year, not just that he's been better, but he has become more of a strikeout pitcher. I know it's not in every game, but it certainly was the case in this game on Saturday.
1: Yeah, and he attributes that to now really having confidence in all four of his pitches, to use them all. That includes a cutter that has become one of his go-to pitches that he's able to throw up in the zone. You know, we always talk about him as a sinker baller. He's got to keep it down, get ground balls. And yes, that's primarily what he's looking for. But when he gets to two strikes, he is able to go up in the zone with the cutter and get strikeouts on it. And that's a huge development for him if he can continue to do that and sustain that. I also thought, you know, we had to ask him, obviously, about how everything went while he was on the COVID list and uh, the circumstances of it all. And I thought he handled it really well, and I thought he gave a really good answer to it. Essentially saying, like, number one, he was shocked when he found out that he tested positive because he didn't think that was likely to happen once you've been vaccinated. He understands it's possible. He felt great through it all. And he admitted it was obviously frustrating to be sidelined this whole time. But what he said was he's glad that he didn't end up impacting anyone else on the team. You know, Tanner Rainey had to miss a little bit of time because he was a close contact, but nobody else tested positive. And so I think he feels like in the end he did his duty. He, he did what he was supposed to do as, uh, as agonizing as it was. He understands why he had to spend the time away to make sure that it didn't spread. And remember, this is a team that went through a COVID outbreak to begin the season. I thought it was a very mature answer of him. He could have come down hard on MLB for forcing him to miss all that time because this could cost him in the long run as well. But, you know, he took the high road, said the right things, and, and was just glad that his teammates weren't impacted by it.
0: For all of the negativity with this national season, and there certainly has been a lot, the fact that Eric Fetty may be blossoming is such an exciting thing. And what this could mean for the Nationals moving forward, you know, we've lamented, right? All of these uh, fails of first-round picks in recent years for the Nationals, the inability to draft, develop, and reap the benefits of a high-level starting pitcher uh, at the major league level by the Nationals, basically haven't done that since Steven Strasburg. And here we are now in Eric Fetty, and he was a first-round pick years ago at this point, 2014, but maybe, just maybe, it's panning out. And I've made this point before, and I do think it's a key one. Even with the outing on Saturday, Eric Fetty still has only thrown 238 into third. Major league innings. Like the sample size is actually not as big as people may think. He's been a part of the Nationals at the major league level over parts now five seasons. So it feels like he's pitched more than he actually has. And you know, I was thinking about this mark watching the game. The opposing starting pitcher, Kevin Gaussman, kind of a similar story. Orioles took him with a top five overall pick in 2012. He largely was a bust for the Orioles. He's bounced around the majors in recent seasons, but he's now blossomed with the Giants over the last two years. He's been spectacular so far this year, although he wasn't spectacular on Saturday. And, you know, maybe this is just like a, a brief surge for Gosman, and this isn't really truly who he is. I mean, I don't think he's as good as he's displayed so far this year. He came into the game on Saturday with an ERA under two. i I'm, like, I'm not sure he's that good. But with some guys, it does take a while. Like with Gosman, clearly he was not a success from the get-go. That hasn't been the case with Fetty, but you know, it's like a reminder of you can't just write these guys off. There's a reason they're first round picks. And maybe just maybe the Nats are seeing something similar here with Fetty to where it is working out. It just took a little longer than people would have wanted.
1: Yeah, I like how you put that. And I think that's a a nice comparison. And again, they're not the same pitchers and who knows you know, where they go from here. But you're right that sometimes it does take a while. Not everyone progresses at the same rate. Sometimes in Gosman's case, maybe it took a change of scenery. He first went to Atlanta where he was a little bit better. And then now obviously san francisco he's taken off but it can happen and it's why gms and managers and pitching coaches don't ever want to give up on these guys i know it's easy for us and for fans to look at it and say hey you've given him opportunities how many more you know, why is he still here well he's still here because they do see something in him there's a reason he was a first round pick to begin with they know that there is the, still the potential for something there and you would hate to give up on him and have him figure it out somewhere else especially for an organization that has struggled as much, as you said, to develop its own pitching. So they're always going to go as far as they can with these guys. They're going to use up their options, and then when they're at options, they're going to keep them in the big leagues as long as they can. And until they're forced to make a decision because, you know, a Steven Strasburg is coming back from the injured list or something like that, and there's just six guys for five spots, they're always going to hold off making that decision. They're always going to want to believe that pitchers like Eric Fetty and Joe Ross and Austin Voth can ultimately turn into something, and and I don't fault them for that. I think it is worthwhile. You maybe get to a point that you realize it's just not going to happen, but as we've seen really in all three of those guys' cases, they've all given them reason this year to say, well, hang on, maybe this is worth giving them another look, and maybe it is worth giving them a shot that they could prove to be what we thought they were going to be all along.
0: Nationals bullpen got the job done in the game win victory over the Giants on Saturday. Kyle Finnegan, a scoreless top of the sixth that included striking out Brandon Belt on three pitches with a runner on first and two outs. Brad Hand tossing a perfect top of the seventh with two strikeouts. Each guy would be called upon in game two. We'll talk about that in the next installment of the podcast and we'll do a lot more than Nats bullpen coming up in just a few moments. But with the offense in the Game 1 victory for the Nationals, look, it was not a good offensive game. Uh, neither of these games were good offensive games for the Nationals on Saturday. I know everyone's shocked hearing that. Uh, but the Nats, uh, you know, they win this game despite having just four hits and two walks, 0 for 4 with runners in scoring position. Did end up getting Gosman out of the game after four innings. He gave up two runs. So in that regard, the offense did well. And there obviously were some good key hits in the game, including a home run by the leadoff man, Kyle Schwarber, David Martinez, (laughs) in the latest tinkering of the lineup, starts game one of the doubleheader with Schwarber in the number one spot. Then Schwarber was back to hitting the cleanup spot in game two. But Schwarber begins the Nationals offensive portion of the game with another Schwarber a leadoff shot to the second deck in right field in the bottom of the first. If there's one thing we know about Schwarber, Mark, he does not hit, you know, balls that barely clear the walls. He hits no doubters. And he gave us another one on Saturday afternoon.
1: Yeah, I would love to see what the average distance of his home runs has been this year. It's probably over 400, I would think, especially because he hit the third deck and, you know, a couple of the 450s on the walk-offs. And this is why, I mean, we laugh at it, but that's sort of the idea of why he hits leadoff every once in a while. And I think Davey's trying to pick his spots, but he says if there's a right-hander who throws a lot of fastballs, that's who Kevin Gosman is, let's take a shot. Maybe you get an early fastball in their first at bat and you can hit out of the park and you got a one nothing lead. And in these short games, one nothing. especially the way the Nats play, might be enough <laughs> to do it. Davey talks all the time, just score first. That makes such a difference for this team. It's not the conventional strategy. You typically say, hey, get me somebody who gets on base and then let the guys behind him drive him in. But there's nothing wrong with the leadoff home run. We've seen Ronald Acuna do it for the Braves. We've seen Trey Turner do it at times. although well, he hasn't hit a homer in a long time now. So I get the philosophy and, you know, I don't think it's going to happen every day, but for a specific matchup against a specific starting pitcher, you may see it again, and it, it worked in this case, certainly.
0: Right? Yeah, I mean, you can't argue with the result lead leadoff homer to get things going for the Nationals offensively in the bottom of the first. <laughs> All right. So we have all had that dream. Tie game, bottom of the ninth base is loaded. Well, on FanDuel Sportsbook, you get more than just one shot to swing for the fences. That's because FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk free. You heard that right. New users get up to $1,000 back in side credit if your first bet doesn't win. And it only gets better from there. Once you have an account, you'll have access to same game parlay insurance all season long. That's up to $25 back. Inside credit each day if your same-game parlay bet falls one leg short. This way you can combine multiple baseball bets for an even bigger win. There's a reason that FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is simple to use. It's got great odds on all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same-game parlay and always-on promotions to let you get more action out of every game day. And when you win, FanDuel will pay you your winnings in as little as 24 hours. All you have to do is download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code CHAT to get in on the action. That's FanDuel Sportsbook, promo code CHAT. Games on Sunday afternoon include Seattle at Cleveland at 110. We will have Bieber fever, Shane Bieber, starting for the Indians, number one in the majors with 122 strikeouts. We ride the tribe on Sunday afternoon.
2: 21 plus and present in present, Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Tennessee, or West Virginia. First on my real money wager only for risk free bet. Refund issued as is non withdrawable site. Credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. See terms at com. Gambling problem, call 1 800 522 in Colorado. 1 800 bets off in Iowa. One hundred nine with it, Indiana, 1-800-270-7117 for Confidential Help in Michigan, one hundred Gambler, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia, Tennessee, 1-800-889-9789, or in West Virginia, visit w. gamblernet We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Osman delivers to the plate. Here's a fly ball right field deep. Yastrzemski going back on the run toward the warning track. Over the shoulder. Can't get it. It's off the wall. Soto racing for third's going to try to score. The throw comes in over Flores all the way to Belt on the edge of the infield grass. Soto slides in safely on an RBI double for Josh Harrison.
0: Josh Harrison was the Nats number five batter in game one. It was good to see him come through with a hit. He's been scuffling lately, but he delivers a one-out opposite field RBI double to right field in the bottom of the fourth. Now, a little bit of help here from the Giants defensively. The Giants right fielder Mike Jastrzemski had some trouble tracking the baseball, but you know, that was that was a legit hit. I, mean, not, I don't think that should have been called an error or anything like that. Good to see Harrison deliver, Mark. It's been a rough last few weeks for him.
1: Yeah, and as we've been saying with so many of these others, like he's going to have to keep playing. You know, the alternative is Jordy Mercer, and we've seen what happens when he starts. So he's going to be in there. He's going to probably be in prominent spots in the lineup. So he had a good day. He reached base in the, the nightcap also a couple of times. Another double in that game, and you know he did strike out in the first inning. There was a chance for them to do more in that first after the Schwarber homer, and they wound up Josh Bell double play, Harrison strike out. But at this point, you take what you can get from him and, you know, you know, a good game for him. And I feel like if he was playing four times a week instead of six times a week, we might be seeing a more productive Josh Harrison. They just can't afford to do that.
0: They need to do more Zimmerman with Harrison, and they can't. That's the unfortunate (laughs) thing. They have to lean on Harrison more than they have to lean on Zimmerman, and Zimmerman's benefiting from his lack of playing time, as you've chronicled, and Harrison is suffering, I think, because of all of his playing time. Trey Turner, number two batter in game number one, two for three with two singles, had a single in the bottom of the first, leadoff single in the bottom of the sixth, but he got picked off and caught stealing second base in that sixth inning. And, And I bring this up This is not the first time recently that this has happened. Trey Turner's gotten picked off multiple times here over these last few weeks. I don't know what's going on with that. I don't know if there's a tell that teams are picking up on or what. This was not happening, though, earlier in the season. Remember, he was perfect on stolen bases for a good chunk of the early portion of this season. And I want to say, like, the last two, three weeks, he's gotten picked off at least three times now by my memory here. And it happened again on Saturday. And, you know, in a close game like that, you don't know if that's going to loom large. Thankfully, it doesn't. But uh, I don't know, some rough moments for Trey Turner on the base bats here lately.
1: Yeah, I think he's not getting a great read on some lefties moves, maybe some guys he's not as familiar with. I think that guy who was in at that point, he probably didn't know much about. But you also wonder, and this may tie in with a big topic in our nightcap episode, is this just another example of guys on this team, they know what the situation is, how much they're struggling to score runs, and when they do reach base, they're taking it upon themselves to try to do too much try to make something happen that's not there. I don't know if he was going to be trying to steal. I mean, they they called the caught stealing along with the pickoff, which suggests that he was going to be trying to run on that pitch. So as tough as it is, I know guys like Trey Turner and Victor Robles and Juan Soto who think they can help this team score runs not only with their bats but with their legs. They've really got to be careful about this because they are costing them opportunities when you're running yourself into outs trying to force something that may not be there. If it's there for the taking, go for it. But you can't force it. You can't make it happen if it's not there. And I I think that has become a pretty consistent theme for a lot of these guys. It applies to their approach at the plate sometimes. It applies to their approach on the bases at times. They're just trying to make too much happen to account for their lack of offense.
0: Juan Soto, number three batter on Saturday afternoon, drawing a couple of walks. Good to see that full count walk, bottom of the first leadoff seven pitch walk in the Nats one run fourth. It was a bad game for Josh Bell in the cleanup spot. 0-3 with a strikeout, left three runners on base, grounded into a killer 4-6-3 double play. Nats had runners on first and second. Nobody out, ended up being a mere one run, Nats first. Another instance of a Nationals inning set up to be a big inning and ending up being a modest inning. And bad production from the bottom of the lineup in Game 1-2. The number 6, 7, and 9 batters, Starling Castro, Alex Avila, Andrew Stevenson, uh, combined 0 for 6. As, yes, Davey, for Game 1 of the doubleheader, did go back to the pitcher batting 8th, and this time it was Andrew Stevenson batting ninth, as opposed to Victor Robles. All right, before the Game 1 on Saturday, a flurry of roster moves announced by the Nationals. Principal among them, the placement of Daniel Hudson, on the 10-day injured list, retroactive to June 10th with right elbow inflammation. Now, I don't think this shocks anyone. Hudson has not been pitching well lately. We've talked about this. Hudson, over his last five appearances, five runs and six into third innings. And even that doesn't tell the entire story because Hudson, in a 5-3 win at the Atlanta Braves on June 2nd, allowed two inherited runners to score. Now, at least, all right, there's potentially an explanation here for why he's been struggling. But you asked Daniel Hudson a really good question about his usage and the way he's been deployed this year and kind of how you try to manage that, especially when you're Daniel Hudson and, you know, you're well into your 30s at this point. Set up, if you would, kind of the the mentality of you asking that question, and then we can listen to what Hudson's answer was.
1: Yeah. So, look, I think, like you said, we've sort of seen this coming or we were worried that something like this might come because of how much he's been used. And obviously, he's been their most effective reliever and at a time when others who were supposed to be part of the back end have not been available to them, they've had to rely on him a lot. And every time we talk about, you know, boy, I don't know, he's really kind of pushing Hudson. Maybe he shouldn't have pitched today. The response is, well, Davey goes and talks to these guys before every game, says, how are you feeling? How, you know, what do you have in you today? Are you good for a full inning? You good for a couple of outs? Are you not available at all? And, Every time Daniel Hudson says he's good to go. And so, you know, I think we have to remember that it also falls on the player. It's not just always the manager deciding he's going to use these guys. That He has to trust that they're telling him uh, the truth. So I wanted to ask him just how he balances in his own mind on any given day how he's feeling. Because we know, as as is the case with any reliever, there are going to be days you just don't feel that great. But you think, yeah, maybe I could pitch, maybe I can't. So how do you sort of balance in your own mind how to tell a guy whether you can – appear today or whether you need a day off and what factors are involved with that. And uh, I thought the answer he gave was really telling in in a lot of different ways.
3: There are days when, you know, maybe you're not feeling 100 percent. But, you know, for me, everything that I do in between, I do just to to make sure that I'm available every day. You know, there's there's it's just part of being in a in a big league bullpen. You know, there's going to be stretches of time when you know, it feels like you're throwing every day or warming up every day. Um, and then there's also times when you don't touch the mound for a week. Uh, you know, there's, it's, it's just part of it. And I kind of pride myself on, you know, especially the last couple of years, just being being available. There's a thing with being a, a veteran in the bullpen where there's, you know, there's days where you're not feeling good, but, but guess what? You're good enough to pitch. And there might be a young guy who doesn't feel like he can stand up and say, hey, I need a day because of, you know, the, the volatility in the bullpen when the roster situation with guys in the bullpen can be so fluid. You know, if, if there's a, a day where a young guy says, hey, I can't I can't go. I need a day or two. Maybe, you know, with the way the modern bullpens run, maybe he gets sent down. It's just a part of being a veteran. I think if Davey feels like or if I feel like I can pitch and Davey knows that I'm there, maybe there's maybe he stays away from one of those young guys, you know, because I'm available. And, uh, you know, I kind of pride myself on that and I want to be available every single night, especially with how it's throwing the baseball because it's helping us win games. But at the same time, there is a, a little bit of, of, of times where you need to be smart. Um, like I said, I hadn't had any issues going up to, to this. Uh, I felt great. Felt good, normal on, on Wednesday. It's just I uh, woke up Thursday morning and didn't feel so good. So here we are, you know, and hopefully we just get through it and put it behind us. So there
0: you have it. And, you know, I, I think, to other sports. And like, especially like the NFL and the NHL where guys are hurt and they get asked, well, can you go, you know, are you good to go? And there's always got to be that internal pressure of, you know, you don't want to be a wuss, right? You want to be a tough guy. You want to be a warrior. You want to always say that you're good to go. But sometimes you like the cliche goes, discretion is a better part of valor. And that has got to be such a difficult line for these relievers to walk, especially a guy like Hudson, who's older, who's got to try to take care of himself but who also has pitched at a high level for a good chunk of this year. So it's like he knows he can do it. He probably wants to do it. But it's like that has got to be such a difficult balancing act on a day-to-day basis for someone like Hudson. And it sure looks like he was caught on the wrong end of that balancing act and now having to deal with this right elbow inflammation and go on the 10-day I.O.
1: The fascinating part to me, and not something that I ever really think much about, is how he used his teammates, his younger teammates, As part of his decision-making process, that he's thinking, okay, if I as a veteran am saying I can't go, well, now maybe it's going to fall on a younger guy with less experience who is maybe more scared about telling a manager that he's not feeling right and that he can't go. Because, as he says, for a young guy, you say you can't go, well, the team may say, okay, you know what, we need to send you down. We need an available arm, so we're going to have to send you down to AAA for the next 10 days. And that can cost them, and it makes it harder for them maybe at times to speak up. So. In a way, he's sort of being a, a great teammate by offering himself up instead. The problem is that only works to an extent because if you're hurting yourself, then you're ultimately hurting your team in the end. And he is their best reliever and he needs to be there for them. And the only way he can be there for them is to maybe not pitch as much. So I thought it's a really complex and, and, and interesting answer. And I, I get where he's coming from and all of that. And I, I'm i sure it's a very difficult balance for them to strike. And the other thing that occurs to me is here's a guy who's had two Tommy John surgeries He's been a failed starter. He's made it as a reliever. All of a sudden here at age 32, he ends up getting traded to the Nationals in 2019. He ends up closing for them. He ends up recording the final out of the world series. I don't know that he ever in a million years thought he'd find himself in that position. And he does it and he's reached the pinnacle of his career. Then he gets re-signed for two more years. I've got to think in the back of his mind, he's saying, whatever else happens in my career, it's gravy. I'm just going to give whatever I have now for as long as I can. And if the arm blows out, that'll be the end of it. And so what? I had a great career. I got to win a World Series. I mean, it's a little scary to think in those terms, but I, I do wonder if that's sort of his mindset at this stage of his career. He knows one of these days is just not going to be there for him anymore. So make the most of every opportunity he has until that happens.
0: Yeah, I think there's a lot of logic behind what you just said. I also think about this too, you know, one thing leads to another. If Steven Strasburg is healthy and defective this season, if Patrick Corbin is good this season, if national starters are going deeper into games this season, the overusage of Daniel Hudson doesn't happen, and he probably doesn't get hurt. And you see now how one thing, like Strasburg being injured, can lead to another thing, like Hudson being injured. And that, that's a bad deal, man. Guys like Strasburg being hurt, Corbin struggling – it's not just about them. It's about the impact on others, on the team, and how one thing leads to another thing, which can lead to another thing. And that's one of the things that I think has really damaged the that so far this year. And we see that now with Hudson. Hopefully, he's not out long. But you know, even if he's not out long, if he, when he comes back, it's like, okay, uh, are, are you going to be reluctant to use him? Do you have to really monitor his workload? Like, to what extent can you be aggressive in your usage of Daniel Hudson? I think it's going to be tough for David Martinez
1: and I take it even another step farther, you could also say that the lack of offense contributes to this because how many times if they just scored a couple more runs, maybe they're up four runs in the eighth inning and Davey doesn't have to go to his best high leverage guy to protect a one-run lead or if it's a tie game or whatever that is. If they start scoring more runs, that gives Davey the freedom not to have to ask Hudson in Hand to pitch all these games. So, I mean, it's all interconnected. It really is.
0: Yeah, and you think about what happened on Saturday. Brad Hand and Kyle Finnegan each being summoned to pitch twice. Two appearances in one day. It was that kind of day for the Nationals. You tell us what you think. Is Eric Fetty blossoming into a quality starting pitcher? Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email us Natschatpodcast at gmail.com. And get yourself a good-looking podcast t-shirt. We had, and if you follow Mark Zuckerman on Twitter, you know this, a Nats Chat Podcast listener on hand at the ballpark on Saturday, proudly wearing his Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt. I have it on good authority that four good-looking 20-somethings went up to the guy because he was wearing that t-shirt. So you want to reap the benefits of life, man, get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt. Go to natschatpodcast.square.site. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nat's Chat podcast
2: two balls two strikes two out the kick and the pitch is a slider and there strike
3: three call and a curly W's in the books in game 1